1989, uh, Stephen Covey wrote a best-selling book called The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. I don't know if you've ever read that book, but uh, he purports to have found seven habits that uh, people who are highly effective in their lives uh, incorporate into their rhythm of life. Amongst these things, a second one said, live with the end in mind. In other words, think about your last day. Think about the end of your life. How would you want to be defined? How would you want people to talk about you? How would you want to be eulogized? Think about that day and live from the end, live with the end in mind. It's an important way to live life, to think about what it's going to be when I get to the end of my life. How will I have lived life? And in order to get to the kind of life that we want to live, we have to make certain choices. And so the first habit of highly effective people, according to him, is that we need to be proactive. With that end in mind, how do I want to live? What kind of choices do I need to make? In other words, be proactive. Don't blame your situation on other people. Don't blame grandma. Don't blame grandpa. Don't blame mom and dad for the situation of life I'm in. Don't blame circumstances. You're not a victim to circumstances. You're not a victim to all of the things that have happened in life. You have Choice, the freedom of choice, just like everybody else does. Therefore, be proactive in order that you can get to the desired end when your days are over. And on that day, when your strength is failing, the end draws near and your time has come. Be proactive so that when you get to that day, you'll be able to have lived the kind of life that you want to live. Life is all about the choices that we make, isn't it? Everything that you are is about choices that have been made, either if not made by you, have been made for you. But life is about the choices that we make. All of us have made certain choices this morning, choice to be here, a choice to wear a certain shirt, to wear certain pants, to wear a certain hat, a choice to sit where you want to sit. Some of these choices are huge. Some of these choices are are not as big, but we are defined at the end of our days by the kind of choices that we make. Stephen Covey could have just as easily gotten these first two habits of highly effective people from the teachings of Jesus that we're going to look at this morning, as we're coming to the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus, like all good preachers do, call for a decision. He call us to make a choice, and today we're going to see the choice that he offers to us. Matthew 7, simple two verses, verses 13 and 14, we're going to see the choice that is offered to you and to me, and in keeping with the habits of highly effective people, he encourages us to think about and live with the end in mind and thereby being proactive about the choice that we will make. This is God's word, Matthew 7, <clears throat> verses seven, uh, 13 and 14. This is the word of God for the people of God. Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction And many enter through it, but small is the gate, and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. This is God's word. I know that in many circles where tolerance is praised as the highest virtue, passages like this would be skipped over, but we are bound and compelled by simple fact that we're going through the Sermon on the Mount, uh, that we can't ignore certain passages that may deal with us in different ways and cause us to feel uncomfortable. But this is the reality that is preached by Jesus, and therefore we have to be true and faithful to the word of God 
to not minimize the teachings of Christ for the sake of comfort, for the sake of convenience, for the sake of making people feel comfortable uh, because of uh, teachings that may tickle their ears. This is not one of these passages. This is a difficult passage. It's hard, but it's necessary. There's a, an author named Robert Frost. I don't know if any of you are into poetry. Wrote this wonderful, famous poem, The Road Less Traveled, The Road Not Taken, whatever you call it. Um, Walking man walk in a woods, the road diverged into two. And he said there was two paths, and Jesus lays out the same. He says there are two paths along the way. And as he comes to the end of this sermon, as he's speaking to his disciples, but is being overheard by crowds of people who have yet to make a decision to follow Jesus, he's inviting them to listen in. And as he tells them that there are two choices, two gates, right? two roads, and two destinies. And he says, which will you take in order to encourage us to take the choice, to make the choice, to take the road, to take the gate, to take the destiny that he is calling us to, that he gave his life for us to have. He encourages us through this passage. Three thoughts. The first thing, life is not a popularity contest. Life is not a popularity contest. Jesus says, enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter it. Says many enter this road. In fact, the great majority of people that you know are on this road. If you think about it, okay, if you think about it, two choices that Jesus holds out, and if you're walking and you're like Robert Frost and come before you, these two choices, a wide road and a narrow road. Uh, Robert Frost, the poet, says, I, I chose the road less taken, and it has made all the difference in the world. And Jesus is saying, would you do that? This is his thesis up front. Would you choose the road less taken, the road that is not popular, because it will make all the difference in the world as well as in the life to come. What is he saying? You're walking the road and you hear all of these people and they begin to beckon you. This is the wide road. Then come over here and they're laughing and they're frolicking. It's a big party. It's a big pool party. Everyone's having fun and on that road are people that you recognize and they're calling you by name. How do they know me? How does Jay-Z and Beyonce, how do they know me? And they're calling your name. Miley Cyrus is there, and she calls your name. Says, we're going to party. <laughs> party in the USA. Come on over. Life is great as she beckons you to come. There's the there's billionaires of the world, and they invite you to come along this path. The Kardashians are there, and hey, if I want to keep up with the Kardashians, I need to go to that side, don't I? And they're beckoning you, and you're, they're calling you, and everyone looks like they're having fun. Then there's people from your school. The people that you want to associate with, the popular people, the ones that throw parties at their home that everybody talks about on the weekends on Monday morning. There's drugs there, certainly. There's alcohol. There's all kinds of worldly temptations there. And people are calling you, come, life is amazing over here. It's so good. Kanye is there. And all of these guys that you listen to inviting you to come. And as you think about that, you're like, man, that looks, that's the place I need to be. Everyone is there, all of the cool people, all the popular people, all of the people that I want to be associated with, they're all there. And they call you to come, to join them on this road. 
And as you pick up your bags to go on that road, you begin to notice something strange, that if they've got everything, then why is it that further down the road, people look so sad? It boggles your mind. Some of them even look depressed. Some of them even look afraid and anxious. But everyone is calling you to come. All of your friends, all of your buddies, all of the people who you want to identify with. Come over here. Everything that you could always long for, that you've always wanted. Fulfill your wildest dreams over here. And as you're about to go, you hear someone say hello from the other side. And it's not Adele. Who is that? You don't know who it is. But you look over there and there's not many people over there. It's a small, tiny little road with this nondescript gate there. Very small. Look over there and people are sincerely pleading with you to come on that way. You realize that they have a joy in them that you've always longed for. But you also notice that there's not many people and they don't have a lot of the things that the people on the other side have. In fact, the gate is so narrow and the road is so narrow that they cannot take whatever they want to take with them. The only thing they can take are the absolute essentials. And the only thing that they've got is a cross on their back. And they're calling you to come, saying, this is where life is. This is where you need to be. And as you listen, you see the shadow of a person that looks vaguely familiar, but you can't quite make it out. You know you haven't seen them on TV. They're not a celebrity, not a movie star. And then you realize that. He's one of the guys that spoke at our church. He was a missionary in a far off land. I remember, I remember when he shared his story, the thing that stuck out to me was that he didn't have anything. He didn't have much that the world wanted, but I remember listening to him and he had such a joy and a peace and a love overflowing out of him. And I remember hearing him and I said, I want what he's got. And he's calling you and he's saying, would you come? Would you come walk on this road with me? And then you see people that you know are followers of Jesus. Your mom is there. And she's praying that you would come this way. Your grandma's there. She's praying that you would come this way. You see some of your house church members. You see people that you know are following the way of Jesus. And they're calling you to come. See, this is where life is. And as you begin to think about what your choice is going to be, you think about what Jesus says. You think about all of the people over here and how if you go to school, if you go to work, these people, if you walk the narrow road, they're going to make fun of you. They're going to say you're a dork, you're a loser. We don't want to hang out with you anymore. We don't want to associate with you. You've gone off on the deep end. You're too narrow. And you think about those things. You think about what they're going to say about you when you make that decision to follow Jesus. Because all these people have said, listen, the cross before me, the world behind me, I'm not turning back except to bring people from the world here. And you think about what everyone is going to say come Monday morning. And then you remember the words of Jesus. Because life is not a popularity contest. There are scores of people. It says, many are on this road that leads to destruction. It says, even though everyone may be doing it, everyone can be dead wrong. You know this, right? Ask the people who followed Hitler in Nazi Germany. Everyone is doing it. There's this great story that is told about a, a fly 
flying around and he sees a spider web, right? Beautiful spider web that this spider has spun. And the spider, well, he's a smart spider. He will capture flies in there and then he will clean up the home so it looks like he has no guests. And then he will beckon flies to come. So there's this fly, pretty smart fly. And he's flying around and the spider calls him in and the fly says, I'm not stupid. I'm not dumb. No one is in there. No one's there. Why would I go there if none of my buddies are there? I know what you do. You capture people like me and then you eat me. That's it. I'm not stupid. I'm flying away. And he flies away. Pretty smart. Not completely smart. Pretty smart. And then he sees where all the flies are at. There's this party going on. You can find me in the club, sipping on the bub. So here's all the flies hanging out, right? Hanging out here on this brown, beautiful nightclub floor. And he says, that's where they're at, right? That's where they're at. And he's flying around. And he says, I'm headed for a landing. And then this bee comes along. The bee says, don't go down there. Don't go down there. And the fly says, well, all of my friends are there. Everyone is there. They're having a great time. They're flying around. They're dancing. Look at them. And he says, they're not dancing. They're not dancing. Don't go there. Trust me. And he says, how could all these people be wrong? All these flies be wrong. And so he goes down to where the flies are partying. And he too starts dancing for a little bit, only to realize that he's stuck on flypaper. And within minutes, he, like all the others, have come to their demise. Jesus says life is not a popularity contest. You look at people on the wide road. They're having fun. They're doing all of these amazing things. They're hanging out with the ladies. They're hanging out with the fellas, the good-looking guys. They're getting wasted. They're doing drugs. All of these things, they've got it all. They look like they're having so much fun. And Jesus looks at them like the bee looks at the flies, and he says, they're not having fun. Look further down the road. Don't you see? Don't you see? Many will find this road that leads to destruction. But few walk through the narrow gate. And he says, choose this day where you will go. The first thing that Jesus says, understand this, that life is not a popularity contest. It is not defined by where the majority is. The first thing. The second thing that we see Jesus saying is choose the road based on the destination. Choose your road based on the destination. He says, enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter it, but small is the gate, narrow the road that leads to life. This week, I got a phone call. I got a phone call from, uh, I was very privileged to get a call from them. A phone call saying, congratulations, you've been selected to win an all-expense-paid cruise for seven days to some exotic locale. I didn't pay attention long enough to hear where I was going, but I hung up the phone, and I thought about this. Imagine this. Let's shift from reality into imagination here. Say we all got this phone call. We all get this phone call at the same time. You got it. You got it. All of us got it. Even those who don't have cell phones, you got it somehow. You got it. So we've all got this message, and it says, congratulations, you've been chosen for an all-expense-paid trip, seven days, okay, seven days on a cruise, okay? on a cruise, amazing cruise, first-class accommodations, 
Tickets would go anywhere from $70,000 to $90,000. But everything has been paid for, for you. All you need to do is choose to go. On this place, it's been modeled after the Ritz in London. Amazing, beautiful. There's hot tubs, Turkish baths, pools, 14-course dinner. 14 courses. I can't even name 14 foods, but 14-course dinner. Massages, whenever you want, they're all included in the price that you don't have to pay, but somebody has paid for you. There's uh, barbershops for those of you who like to get your hair cut on cruises. There's gyms, saunas, the whole nine yards are there. Would you? Seventy to $90,000, all of it has been paid for. Just go on there. Three football fields long. Almost 900 feet, this cruise liner. Would you go on it? What if I told you that the year was 1912 and the name of the cruise liner was the RMS Titanic? None of us would go on it. Why? Because we don't want our destination to be at the bottom of an ocean. We understand that we make choices based on the destination. Some people have taken far lesser ships for the sake of a destination. I don't know if you guys, I love sports, I love baseball. Baseball player named Yasiel Puig from the Los Angeles Dodgers. This is ESPN, Yahoo Sports, all wrote articles about him. He's a Cuban defector. Four times, okay, four times he tried to defect from Cuba to Mexico. He got caught by the Coast Guard one time. He got caught by the Mexican police another time. His safe house got raided another time, got sent back, back to Cuba. The fifth time, the fifth time, crazy stuff. I mean, this is, they're going to, I'm sure they're going to make a movie out of it. Drug smugglers, human traffickers, uh, police, the the Cuban mafia, all of these people, uh, people getting killed, gunshots, all this stuff. Until finally, he gets into Mexico. A drug lord gets killed. He makes it to L.A., makes it to the major leagues. Why? Because here's the story. There's one story in the the, uh, Los Angeles. Some some, uh, article said, in quotes, it said, because of a dream of a mythical north where even bench warmers are treated like kings. Why did Yasiel Puig five times go on this circuitous, life-endangering route because of the destination at the end. Because there was freedom, and to him there was life on the other side. So he was willing to take that road. Jesus says there are two roads that diverge. You've got to make your choice, not based on who's there, not based on how fun it is, not based on how easy it is, but based on the destination. He says, wide is the road that leads, broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter it. You have to understand, my friends, that God is not in the business of sending people to hell. If people go there jumping over the crucified and risen body of Jesus Christ who appeals to his people by offering life on the narrow road, If any would die, perish, and go to destruction, it's not because God wants that to happen, because he sends people 
but because we choose to go on the road that leads to destruction. I know some of you are thinking, how can you talk about that kind of stuff, hell and destruction in a tolerant age? But I tell you, deep in your heart, you believe that there is judgment coming. You believe there has to be. Because what do you do then with the serial killer who gets away with rape and murder? Do you not believe that one day justice is coming? Do you believe that they will be in heaven with you? Apart from some intervention of dramatic grace, that they will be in a place filled with glory and delight. You believe that they will be in a place where the most perfect of people deserve to be? We all believe in judgment at some point in our lives. That's why when we get attacked by by terrorists or murderous things happen, we don't immediately seek to enact justice because we believe in our heart of hearts that someday justice is going to come to them. If not in this life, which oftentimes doesn't happen, that there ought to be and there must be judgment in the life to come. Deep in our hearts, we believe that there is judgment, that there will be punishment for those who did wrong and there will be grace for those who chose grace. God is not in the business, in the desire to send people to hell. If we go to hell, it's because we are choosing that. He says every opportunity has been given to those who hear of the gospel to put their trust in him. One of the greatest lies that's ever propagated in our world happens at funerals. I'm not just talking about the the exaggeration about the deceased. That's part of the grieving process where we seek to use hyperbole to talk about the greatness of the person in the casket. But the greatest lie that I think is perpetrated at many funerals is when you look at a person who has not lived a life worthy of the call of God, who has not responded to the gracious invitation of mercy and love beyond comprehension, about whom the person standing up there will say they are in a better place. We don't often think about the destination, do we? We often only times think about the journey, but Jesus says we need to think about the destination. On the broad road, on the wide road that many are on, it leads to destruction. And the only times we often only think about that is when death hits us in the face. But listen, just because you die doesn't mean you automatically graduate to heaven. Just because you die doesn't mean you're moving on up to a place on the east side. That doesn't mean that. Just because you die, you're going to that place. And one of the great lies that's propagated is simply because you die, you deserve to be in a better place. That's not the teaching of Jesus. You could, people might say that, but you have to ask, where do they get that teaching? Do they trust themselves to come up with a logic that is greater than anything else that anyone else has ever come up with? Their notions of fairness or Is there a sense in which we ought to give ear to what this literal, historical man, Jesus Christ, who even the other religions would say is a great teacher, should we not listen to what he has to say? This man, this teacher, who others within 100 years of his life, not even 100 years of his life, began to say he is the son of God because verifiably in human history, they saw a dead man walking, not only one or two people, but hundreds of people saw him alive. Do we not do wisely to listen to what he has to say? And what he says is choose the road based on the destination. Last thing that we see, Jesus says, Jesus is the narrow gate. If you stop and think about this, right, it's very simple. Someone says, here are your two destinies. 
life or destruction. I cannot think of a single person who would willfully choose destruction over life. Jesus tells us how we can find life. Enter through the narrow gate. Small is a gate, narrow the road that leads to life. Jesus would say in other places, I am the gate, John 10. I'm the way in. John 14, 6, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus says, life, destruction, eternity is real, and eternity matters. But here's the deal. How do we get through that gate? Because isn't it true, I know this about myself, that I carry a lot of baggage, and I carry a lot of luggage. In fact, take this analogy. Jesus says, and the Bible says throughout Scripture, Psalm 51, throughout <coughs> Romans, <coughs> Romans 3, all of these passages of Scripture tell us that we're born into this world with baggage. Baggage, very simply and theologically, is called sin. We carry baggage, and every day of our lives, like a magnet, we attract more baggage onto ourselves. And listen, if the gate is that small, how can you fit all of that luggage through the gate? The second most popular book of all time, okay, first being the Bible, the second is called Pilgrim's Progress by a man named John Bunyan. If you have not read this, there is a shortened, abridged version of it that you ought to read, which is amazing. You can read the longer one in its old English even better. But that was one of the best books I've ever read. It just was like dynamite and inspiration for my soul. Basically talks about a man named Pilgrim as he progresses from where he is to life, eternal. And it documents all of the things that we will face on the progress of faith. This man named Pilgrim leaves behind his family because he realizes that destruction is coming to his life and he heads for the celestial city, which is heaven. And as he walks on that road, he realizes, well, his family is not going to come with him. They say, you're crazy. You're foolish. Why would we leave all this behind? And so they say, go. And so he goes alone. Though none go with me, still I will follow. And he goes. There's good news. In part two of the book, they, they realize that they follow daddy later after he dies. But he's walking on the road and he realizes, I've got to do something with this heavy burden on my back that represents his knowledge and awareness of sin. And he goes to all of these different places and meets all of these different people, allegorically named after some of the challenges that we will face. He meets despondency. He meets worry. He meets people who think that they can get rid of the burden for him. People like moralism. People like legalism. Who say, you just need to do the right thing. Do these things and this burden will be released from your back. Only to realize that the burden only gets heavier. He's walking. He's walking. What can rescue me from this body of death? 1 Corinthians, Romans 7 and 8 says the same thing. And finally, in this great, beautiful moment, it's not at the end of the movie, it's actually uh, towards, the be- towards the beginning, 
because there, after he, his burden's released, he can actually live the Christian way. But finally, he comes to the place, I forget what it's called, uh, <clears throat> deliverance or something like that. Where will he receive freedom from the bondage that he carries? At the cross. And he comes to the cross and he kneels before the cross. I remember as a kid watching this, this, this Pilgrim's Progress movie that my church showed. And I remember just, just <laughs> crying, did not even understanding everything as a kid. But he gets to that place and he weeps at the cross. And as he says, I need you, Jesus, it's like something cuts the straps off and the burden goes tumbling down the hill into the tomb. This powerful, powerful scene. And he's like, my burden is gone. And Jesus says, would you be free from the burden of sin? How? There's power in the blood. There's power in the blood of the lamb. There's wonder working power in the blood that Jesus shed. And he invites you to be free from that burden. And once the burden falls, finally we can walk through the gate that is Jesus on the narrow road to life. The great thing, Jesus doesn't say, deal with your burden and then come to me. Nor does he say, walk through me, and then the burden will come up. He says, listen, you come to me with your burden. I will forgive you and cleanse you, and then you walk on this road. You you will stumble, you will fall, you'll slip into sin, but you keep on going by the grace of God. And he invites you to come on this narrow road. How can we be so exclusive that Jesus is the only gate? I think we can only be exclusive because Jesus himself, exclusive. How can he be the only way to heaven? Because he's the only one who came from heaven. He's the only one that could go through that gate perfectly. The rest of us carry the baggage of sin. But Jesus alone could do that. And he came out from the gate in order to be judged like one on the narrow, on the wide road, to be given to destruction in order that he might open the doors of heaven wide open. Jesus is exclusive because he's the only one that could live that perfect life. He is exclusive because he's the only one that gave his life for sinful people. In fact, Jesus is, ex- is exclusive, but he's also the most inclusive the most inclusive gate that you could ever know. He doesn't say you need to be from a certain race a certain height, a certain intellect, a certain morality, a certain sexual orientation. Jesus says, listen, sin is sin. I understand that. But he's saying, whoever you are, an adulterous person, a murderer, these are all sin. I understand that. And Jesus does too. But he says, whoever you are, you come as you are. And you can find life in me. In putting your trust in the baggageless one, he will welcome you into his embrace. And then he says, listen, I love you so much that I love you just as you are. But I love you too much to let you stay the way that you are. To the adulterer, he says, go and sin no more. To the murderer, he says, go and sin no more. To those who struggle with same-sex attraction, he says, listen, I, I, am, I understand that struggle. But you go and you live a life of freedom. You go and you sin no more. To every single one of us who sins, he says, I understand. You come as you are. But I will not let you stay that way. We will change together. And it begins at the cross. Bids us come and die to ourselves. 
to find that we might truly live. This is living now. This is life. And yeah, for 30, 40, 50, 80 years of life on earth, you may be made fun of. But for all eternity, you will find life. And I promise that you will find life the moment you believe and begin to walk the life on the narrow road. I, growing up, always loved, I always loved Snoopy dolls. I love Snoopy. It's cute, cuddly, so kind. But one thing in my love for Snoopy that always hurt me was that he would sleep on such an uncomfortable bed. You ever see Snoopy's doghouse? He sleeps on the roof. First of all, who sleeps on the roof? Second of all, if you sleep on the roof, who sleeps on the point of the roof, right? It's like so awkward. I always felt bad for Snoopy. Like, dude, Charlie Brown, wake up, dude. What's wrong with you? Get your dog a real house, man. And then I saw a TV special called It's Magic, Charlie Brown. For the first time, for the first time, we got a glimpse inside of Snoopy's doghouse. Snoopy's doghouse looks like this little dinky thing, but inside, and this is the most amazing man cave you have ever seen. He's got a basement. He's got a, a, a marble stairway. He's got sleeping quarters for seven people, bunk beds. <clears throat> There's a pool table in there, a ping pong table, a basketball hoop, hot tubs, kitchen, bookshelves, walk-in closets. Ladies, come on now. <laughs> walk-in closets. All of this stuff in Snoopy's little crib. And as I thought about that, I was like, oh, my gosh, Charlie Brown, I am so sorry. I apologize. I repent in sackcloth and ashes. I was wrong. When I think about Snoopy's doghouse, I think about the kingdom of heaven. People on the outside look at it. I'm so sorry. So sorry that you've given up all that stuff. So sorry that you can't have all these things. So sorry that you live this way. But those on the inside know. <laughs> the life that Jesus promised in the Beatitudes. They will be comforted. They will receive glory. They will be called sons of God. Life is so much different based on whether you're looking at it from the outside or the inside. And when you get inside, you know there's nothing like the old road. Two roads diverge in a wood. I chose the road less traveled with all the difference in the world. May that be our testimony. As we uh, come before the Lord Jesus, in one sense, at a human level, uh, for those who are new or if you don't you know, believe in the message of Christianity, in, on one hand, you know, I don't want to be offensive. But on the other hand, I really believe that this matters. I really believe that these things that Jesus spoke are true. 
And I've seen time and time again, life after life, year after year, the reality of these teachings, both in this life as well as in the life that is eternal. And honestly, if there was a fence in this, if it's from the message, then I believe that that is the most loving thing that I could do. If it was from the delivery of the message, then I need to apologize and we can talk about it later. But I believe that this message is the most important decision that you or I will ever make in this life. And if what Jesus says is true, many are on the road to destruction. Then I think many of us need to hear this. I believe that today God is calling some of us to get off the wide road and to walk through the gate that is Jesus. To say, Jesus, I need you. That's the only thing it takes for us to say, I, nothing in my hands I bring, simply to the cross I cling. Today could be your day when you make that choice to enter into life. In a minute or so, I'm just going to give a simple invitation for anyone that wants to make that choice to just raise your hand and once I recognize you, you can put your hand down and I just want to pray all of us together in order that we can walk this road to life together. While we think about this, can you think about what road you're on right now? Many are on a road that leads to destruction. Few are on the road that leads to life. Where are you, my friend? You could have walked through the gate at some point but have shifted your attention to life on the wide road. and Maybe your, your salvation is still certain because you trust Christ, but you're falling away and you're living a life that is hurting yourself and other people and he's calling you back. Maybe some of us have never chosen to walk through the gate of Jesus by saying, I need you to be my forgiver of sins and to give me life. Maybe the Lord is calling out to you to say, choose me, choose life, choose life, walk with me now. Let's take a couple moments to pray on our own. Where are you? What road are you on? Who is your company? Where is your destination? What are the things that are being said around you? Where are you headed, my friend? Live with the end in mind. Let's pray for a couple minutes, can we? pray for a couple minutes and then it's going to give an invitation for any who wants to come to the narrow way. Let's pray together.
throughout the Bible, there are only two ways spelled out. Joshua said, choose this day whom you will serve. Moses said, I set before you blessings or curses. Elijah said, how long will you waver between two opinions? Jesus said, either you are for me or you are against me. But he gives everything in love in order that you might enter life in his name. If you're here today, as all of our eyes are closed as we continue to pray, if you are presently, you know what, DL, I'm on the, I'm on the wide road. I know it. Other people know it. I want to come off. I want to find Jesus. I need Jesus in my life. I may not have ever put my trust in him, but I want to now. I know I haven't trusted Jesus, but I want to now. If that's you, can I just ask where you are? <clears throat> you just raise your hand. Just raise your hand where you are. Okay. Thank you. Okay. We see one, uh, one sister. right now I've trusted Jesus at some point in my life but I'll be honest with you my life ain't where it should be I'm on the wrong path surrounding myself with the wrong people the wrong influences Lord I need I need you I gotta come back to you I'm hurting people I'm hurting my boyfriend hurting my girlfriend hurting my family. I'm hurting myself. I'm hurting God most of all. I need to come back to the narrow road. Come back to life as Jesus calls me to live. If that's God's call for you, if you sense the Lord saying that to you, can you just raise your hand where you are? guaranteed another day. I'm going to pray a prayer. There's people who've raised their hand for each of these invitations. I know that there's some of us who may not have, but who resonate with these. I need to come back to the Lord. I need to put my trust in the Lord. I'm going to pray a prayer for all of us and just ask you in your heart to make this your own. Father in heaven, thank you for loving me. I know that I was born into the world sinful. I was not perfect. 
But even if I were, I would still make bad choices that go against you and that rob you of the authority and the respect that you deserve. I confess that I'm a sinner and that I continue to sin. But I thank you that you did not leave me in that place. But you came to me by sending your one and only son, Jesus Christ, son of God, God of gods, to live a perfect life, a baggageless life. Yet at the cross, he took the baggage and burden of my sin upon himself and was nailed to a cross, enduring separation from God that we deserve, that I deserve. Thank you that you did that not just for the world, but for me so that I would receive you by faith, which I do now, and so that I could go and sin no more. Change me from the inside out. Be my master. Be my forgiver. Help me to be who you want me to be. I love you because you first loved me. In Jesus' name I pray.